As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, welcome into On Waveland, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. The Frank Schwindel uh, edition soon to arrive, I would expect. Uh, I'm Brett Taylor, joined by Sadiv Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Here it's the uh, it's the Cubs podcast here at the Athletic, and I got to point out here at the top, and you know Michael, our producer, can roll back the tape if he wants because I don't remember the exact words. But I jokingly concluded our last episode with something like, and we'll see you folks uh, back on Tuesday with the Cubs coming off their seven-game winning streak. It was a joke. Uh, <laughs> I, I should have had the foresight to think, you know, they're playing, they're, they're beating the Twins, they're playing the Pirates, you know, Justin Steele goes on Monday. A seven-game winning streak in that respect was maybe not so crazy to joke about. And of course, that is actually what happened here for the Cubs. And maybe I'll mention that at the top and throw it to you guys. We are aware of the potential draft related ramifications of winning games when you're not in contention, but to the folks who go too far with that, and maybe you're a little freaking out right now, like, Oh, why are you winning all these games? Um, you know, we make our jokes about it, but I think the three of us would agree that there's value in what's happening right now. And I'm curious during the course of this winning streak, what stands out to you guys the most in terms of like, okay, they're winning the games, but this this thing is happening and it's good for the future because reason X, Y, or Z. I'm just curious what stands out to you because I think that's what people are going to want to hear about is, yeah, the wins are fun, they're entertaining, whatever, but it's still better if the Cubs lose these games. Is that true? Give it because to win games, yeah. good things have to happen. Well, I mean, I think they're going to – ideally, you don't want to fall below that Mets pick, right? The yeah. the Kumar Rocker pick. Uh, outside of that, I think it's fine. I mean, I think this is like, – like you said, like winning is good to experience. We, we talked a lot about during the end of uh, those final few years of uh, whether it was Quaddy or Dale Swain, just all the losing. Like how does that wear on guys? How does that – what is that – what message does it send a guy like Anthony Rizzo and, and Starlin Castro – those types of things. And I also think 
little things like Frank Schwindel getting big hits late in games that you know it 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 kind of gets him ready if he if he's if he's for real like those situations are going to pop up in bigger situations how does he you know in in much more meaningful situations I should say uh and how does he handle that pressure how does he handle those moments I think most importantly actually probably is kind of figuring out the roles of the bullpen when you're winning games and you're in close games the bullpen roles start to solidify and these guys it, while we're not looking at it as like you know wins and losses as much and and paying attention to that as much right now as we would in a normal september uh they're fighting for roles they're fighting for their futures and and how do they handle the 7th 8th and ninth inning uh i think we're seeing some of these guys really step up in big moments uh yeah it's not a september playoff race but it it matters to them so i think yeah i think that's good and i as much as I agree that, yeah, getting the uh, the number five pick would be ideal for them, I think getting the eighth pick and winning some extra games here and, and figuring out some roles going forward or having some semblance of an idea for these roles is, is valuable. I, I was looking back at 2012 and, you know, that team might have had more on paper than, than this team does. I mean, I saw Jeff Samarja, Matt Garza, Travis Wood, that's a lot more starting pitching than this group has uh, in terms of the, all the losses wearing on someone like Anthony Rizzo and Starlin Castro. I I don't know if I see anyone on the everyday side uh, who would fit into that mold. But yeah, I think you take it because <clears throat> they need to figure out the bullpen, that's, I think, one area that they've demonstrated, whether the team is good or bad, that they have a good knack for identifying certain types of pitchers and the situations they can uh, succeed in. And obviously what jumps out to me is the level of competition that they're playing. But uh, I think you know Frank Schwindel has been uh, a really fun story that just like no one saw coming. I was walking through Wrigley. I was off Saturday and I happened to walk past it right when the game was ending and the crowd was filing out. And I saw these like at least one dude, maybe multiple dudes in Schwindel jerseys and like holding a fat head. And I'm like, this has got to be like his buddies from home or something. And then I saw on the zoom, that's exactly what it was. His friends from New Jersey were out and I'm, I'm, I did not confirm. I didn't walk up to them and be like, are you Frank Schwinzel's boys? But I got to imagine of the whatever, 25, 30,000 people in there, there can't, couldn't have been that many <clears throat> legitimate Schwindel fans that knew him from the beginning. And so I think it's just been, you know, kind of cool to watch that. You know, you can, it's okay to just like enjoy a moment and not worry about the big picture ramifications for a multi-billion dollar organization, you know? Yeah, I think all of everything you guys said, spot on. I think the thing that carries the day for me is what you just said right there, Mooney, which is we only get, assuming it's a non-pandemic season, 162 games a year to be fans, to enjoy baseball. And if you wholly commit post-trade deadline in a situation like this to being like, I only care if they lose, I got to tell you, you're throwing away several months of your fandom for not really being entertained. So like why in the world when uh what was the statistic that that Frank Schwindel was the first player in 40 years to have three straight 
game-winning hits in the sixth inning or later, or four straight, or I mean, whatever it was. Yeah. He's we're literally watching something this week that you never get to see, and um, you're just doing yourself a disservice if you are focused solely on a future draft pick. Because why do you care about that? Well, you care about that because it might help the Cubs win some games in the future and entertain you. Psst, they're doing that right now. They're entertaining you. Uh, I think sometimes we get a little too locked into the idea that the only version of fun is a playoff bound team that's winning. Like that's the only version of baseball fun. And uh, although the last seven years have treated us to a lot of that in the Cubs world, you got to make do with what you got. And I remember that second half of 2014 uh, Cubs are not in the same situation they were then, but that was a team that went about 500 in the second half of 2014. And it was fun as hell. I mean, because there were guys coming up, there were cookies uh, every week, seemingly, and the Cubs were winning games when it felt like, okay, these don't matter uh, because they're not going to the postseason, but there's something uh, just enjoyable about this group coming together. And I think this group that the Cubs have now isn't some like long-term future group coming together that we're enjoying. Instead, it's like just guys getting an opportunity and... Um, you can see reflected in their joy, the fans getting to experience a dude like Frank Schwindel, who is 29, has been grinding for years, has not had this opportunity. He's been in four or five organizations already, hasn't had this opportunity. He's getting it now. And it's just like, you can see in his smile, where it's just like, man, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just <laughs> enjoying this. And um, well, I guess let's leave that part of the discussion there. And let's say, okay, he's over 150 plate appearances this year. Best hitter in baseball, over 150 <laughs> plate appearances. I'm just saying that's the that's the it's data. A very, it's a very saying. convenient cutoff when when Mike Trout it is at a, like 146. Hey, that feels like a very real. You know, there's a lot of studies out there that say after 150 plate appearances, you are who you are. Uh, no, <laughs> of course that is not the case. But but I will say this. We said back when he was first succeeding in that first like week, um, we said, and I'll claim, you know, like 80% of that credit, you know, <laughs> we commented on how he's sort of a unique dude insofar as he's got a, a better than average strikeout rate for a dude who generates a lot of power. And that is always something that catch, should catch your eye because it's it tends to be the case in the modern game that it's hard to produce at a above average power level without sacrificing a lot of your ability uh, to, to swing and miss. And that is something that Schwindel has continued to do. There hasn't been fluctuation in that. He has continued to be a good, solid, uh, you know, four percentage points better than league average and strikeout rate, which is really compelling given the rest of the skill set. And it tends to be a good barometer for future success and until, you know, pitchers can find that hole with him whether it's by pitch type or pitch location or a combination of the two. And I don't know, you start studying the data. I think you wrote about this recently, Sadiv, that we were kind of thinking maybe there was going to be something there with the breaking pitches. And man, his last week of success yeah. has been almost exclusively not against fastballs. It, it's been really impressive. So it's, uh, I don't know. He's I, up to 
296 batting average against breaking balls, 308 against off-speed, uh, 463 slugging on the breaking balls, not a lot of power on off-speed, but that doesn't matter. Like He's crushing fastballs, and that's where his power is coming from, and he's and he's doing damage, enough damage to survive against other stuff, more than survive. I, I joked uh, early on that I was going to convince myself, uh, I'm trying not to convince myself that a uh, Rebus... Schwindel platoon could work next year it looks like <laughs> I'm gonna convince myself that this is perfectly acceptable because Revis puts up really good at bats very tiny sample size but this was you know the book on him in the minors he's gonna put up a good at bat he's not gonna hit for power uh all these like soft singles that he's blooping like that's just him that I think we're gonna I don't think we're gonna I think 10 home run power maybe what what you see over a full season for him uh I keep coming back to the Giants but I but uh, like it can work you, these no names you can put it together you just have to put the rest of the pieces together of course and and there has to be some stars there this isn't enough for the cubs to be a, a good team next year but i i'm starting to first of all i'll caveat it with uh you know cold streaks come look at patrick wisdom i don't think patrick wisdom's looked absolutely awful the last whatever two weeks that it's been that he's kind of struggled he's he has hit some balls hard right at people but he's he's striking out a ton still and this is just kind of what happens right with guys that strike out a lot the thing with chundel is he just doesn't strike out a lot uh, i i don't know if that's going to last i don't i don't like it's a i <laughs> i almost tweeted out the what what you ended up talking about, uh, Brett, uh, after Saturday's game, maybe Sunday's game, I'm losing track of the days, uh, he was, it was right before he hit the 150 plate appearance mark, but I was, I was going to tweet out how players, similar players right around him, around 150 uh, plate appearances were like Trout and Buxton and uh, Robber is at like 200. And they all have uh, – Trout's the only one with a higher-weighted runs created plus than him. Of course, all those guys have tremendous defensive value as well. But I'm just saying, like, I don't know – like, my point is I don't know what to do with this, right? Because I also looked up and around the same time, I think 151 plate appearances, Brian LaHare was at 171 weighted runs created plus, right? Oh, can, can, I, draw, can I swoop in real quick on yeah. that? Because I've seen a lot of chatter in the mentions of LaHare and, like, all all fair game. I mean, LaHare became the – Right or wrong, the poster child for uh, what extreme success can look like in a very small sample before the league adjusts for a late bloomer, how you can't always buy into it, et cetera, et cetera. And I, but I think some have gone a little too far with it, not you, but others that I've seen discussing it. Because what people seem to forget is with LaHare, although you can stretch that out to that like 150 plate appearance mark. It was really only one month. It was that first like month where he was actually succeeding. And it was based almost entirely on a BAPIP around 600. Oh, or it was something, it was just obscene. And I'm not saying we didn't have a sophisticated understanding of quality of contact and those things in 2012, but we definitely didn't think about it quite as much as we do now. Like I remember writing up a, <laughs> this this was a long time ago, but it was like, uh, is Brian LaHare in the MVP conversation? <laughs> Brett was and hard I remember, up for stories that well, week. Well, yes, that's true. There wasn't a lot going on back then. And I was exploring the BAPIP and I was like, yeah, it's it's a little elevated at 600, but he's hitting the ball really hard. Okay, guys, do, that doesn't actually happen. And and um, with Schwindel, I would caution that, uh, you know, his BAPIP's in the 380 range, which is elevated. You look, we talked about this, I think, before, and his quality of contact suggests a, a, a really nice 
BAPIP because he's hitting a lot of line drives, a lot of hard contact. 380 is inflated. But like, it just ain't the same thing for the folks who are comparing it to LaHare. I'm not saying that Schwindel's going to be, this guy's going to carry it forward and be a star next year for the Cubs. I'm saying only that if you were, if your point is, hey, sometimes guys come up late and they surprise and then they fizzle, fine. But if your point is, oh, this is the next Lahair, well, they're doing completely different things. So yeah. I'm not I think super, I'm not interested in that. My my thing is, uh I, he's probably not a one seventy weighted runs created plus guy going forward, but if he's a one thirty guy uh that you can platoon and and kind of deploy to your advantage, uh I think that that's amazing. That's a great thing to have for the next couple of years if that's the route that they can go and they can continue to kind of ride this. That's I mean I, I think I've I've kind of felt like, you know, at, at minimum now it's like well, well what do you have here and can you carry this forward into twenty twenty two? Because it's really interesting and it's a great story. I'll say this I I really enjoyed his uh, whatever day it was, his postgame presser, and he's kind of talking about, like, that's the loudest I've heard Wrigley. There's, like, this <laughs> innocence about him that I kind of, uh, like, that I appreciate. It's like, okay, bud, now that, like, that, that's that's great, but Wrigley wasn't that loud. <laughs> there weren't even that many people there, but that's awesome. Like, he, he seems to really be enjoying himself. He has, like, he, and he's very self-aware. He's like, Man, it has to be hard for the fans. All their favorite players were traded away, and and they and a bunch of guys have never even heard of are, are coming in. He's like, so I'm just trying to have fun, and and it's really nice to hear them support me. And I love the Schwindy City and the Frank the Tank stuff. He, he's so aware that like he's not like he doesn't have like a chip on his shoulder. Like, how dare they be upset that I'm replacing Anthony Rizzo? Like, he's he he gets the history of this. He gets why it matters that those guys were traded to these fans and that there's no way that he can just step in and be like, Hey, I'm doing great. You have to love me. Uh, he just, he's just like, thanks for, thanks for appreciating me. I know how hard it must be for you guys. So that's, that's pretty, I think that's pretty self-aware and pretty cool. To me, Frank, the tank will not have arrived until he starts tuning out the hitting coaches, gets his own <laughs> show on marquee is a weekly radio appearance on six saving the score and you know we haven't fully discussed whether or not the cubs should extend him or what his camp is shooting for as a comp because i think that is really the full true experience of cubs hitters i mean look cubs fans were sick of chris bryant after he won the mvp during a world series season like the schwindel backlash is coming if there are more fans paying attention right now they would be all over this. I mean, if like top of the draft hitters like Kyle Schwarber, who like could, you know, fall out of a hospital room and start hitting in the World Series and then just looks like awful a couple months later and gets sent down to the minors, like I'm not buying the Frank Schwindel stuff. I think maybe he's a nice <laughs> complimentary piece. I don't think the Cubs are smarter than every other organization after like saying our offense broke and all of a sudden they've got Schwindel magic. Um <laughs> I looked up the LaHare numbers yesterday, Brett, just for fun, and I thought that basically his 33rd game with the Cubs, he hit his 10th home run and in May, the middle of May 2012, and I don't think anyone was really thinking of him as like this like core piece going forward, but I guess we can just ride out the Schwindel for as long as we can, and uh, I do agree he just does seem to have a very good demeanor. I do appreciate that, that he's like, you know, can't believe he's here and is, you know, taking advantage of it. I think that's something Andy Green kind of mentioned yesterday. Uh, Megan asked him about kind of the vibe in the clubhouse, and he said there was just this weight that they carried around 
all season long when things got went south it went south really fast because everyone knew the end was coming and sure you'd rather have more talent than not but i think there was a bit of a refresh or an exhale and bringing in new guys who are hungry and who are not looking over their shoulder or calling their agents to see like where am i going to get traded or like looking at mlb trade rumors or getting questions from annoying reporters about extension talks and trade rumors there is probably something to that that we are seeing during the seven game uh, winning streak looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, I think that's fair to point out. And you wonder similarly some of that kind of soft factor stuff when you see like Kyle Hendricks uncharacteristically struggling. Like it's just hard to pin down exactly like how the changes could affect different guys in different ways. And um, I think one wrap up point on the Schwindel and sort of the older guy conversation uh, before we shift over to some other stuff is just to point out that none of this talk about Schwindel and what he could be for the Cubs in the future. Ditto Patrick wisdom, ditto Rafael Ortega, ditto Michael Hermesio. If he ever gets a start ever um, (laughs) is these things don't happen in a vacuum. They happen against the backdrop of service time and cost of players and these things. And, Part of the value, if you unearth a guy like Frank Schwindel as a potential starter or even platoon starter, is the fact that he's pre-arbitration, doesn't make a lot of money, allows you to spend elsewhere on the roster, and that's why it's so important to to find guys like this. And so you have to keep that in mind when you think about the potential for him to be a starter with the Cubs next year. It isn't just about like, oh, we think he's going to be just as amazing next year as this year. It's well, no, we think he could be productive and it will allow us to do X, Y, and Z elsewhere. And um, that's, I think, going to be the more nuanced conversation for the offseason. And I also think that's where it's going to be fair for fans and media to, to, what's the right way to put it? Not keep the pressure on, but but to keep the organization honest in terms of, hey, great, you found these guys, but it's be so that you can spend on the rotation or, you know, whatever. It isn't like because you found the next great player. It's that you found a probably useful player who's inexpensive and allows you to do other things. So that's what needs to happen. If you're going to ask us to say, okay, the Shuivas platoon is the new first baseman. (laughs) Great, fine. But the spend that would have been Rizzo money on something else. 
If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I uh, want to turn to a couple email questions that we got because uh, we got some good ones. And so just wanted to touch on those here. Don't forget, you can shoot us these emails at uh, wavelandathletic at gmail.com and we'll hit them up as we get a chance uh, like this one from Nate. He says, so I'm watching the Red Sox game and Kyle Schwarber gets an awesome hit, of course. And Dennis Eckersley, who's announcing the game, says something like, can you believe the Cubs non-tendered this guy? Is he right? Were the Cubs stupid? Were they cheap? What uh, What's the take on that? I mean, I got my thoughts, but I'll I'll, I'll tee it up to the uh, to the beat writers. Yeah, I don't I, I don't think you could suggest that they're stupid because I think they knew that they've always believed in uh, Kyle Schwarber. I, I think it's just a matter of finances and where they were, uh, where the pandemic was at that point. And yeah, if you want to call them cheap, call them cheap. Uh, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. Uh, it was a money thing, I think. Like so, yeah. They they've known they they've been one of the highest uh, uh, teams on Kyle Schwarber for the past you know half decade. They they love that guy. Uh, I I mean, if you followed my writing, I've always been super high on Kyle Schwarber. I really believed in that 2019 season. Uh, I've talked to multiple front office people that were were adamant that they weren't going to let 2020 season like get them too high or low on any of their players so i don't think they were just like we got to dfa this guy because of because he's no good it was a money thing it was we got to uh, scrimp and save we got to figure out what the market looks like and they felt like the market was going to be uh much lower for kyle schwarber and it turned out it wasn't uh there was a team that was willing to be aggressive on him and it paid off in the sense that they got, we'll see what type of prospect that guy that they got back in return for Kyle Schwarber is. Uh, but Schwarber clearly looks like he's, he's kind of turning into the player that a lot of us expected him to be, uh, you know, when, when he was raking in the world series and then when he had that hot stretch or I guess a long stretch of production in 2019. Yeah, I think you can say it's, uh, it was a budget-driven decision. Uh, at the same time, I don't know if we would have seen those numbers out of Kyle Schwarber if he came back to the Cubs because I, I don't want to totally discount 
the possibility of a, a fresh start or or a, a change of scenery. Because granted, I think he was in the kind of on the COVID injured list at the beginning of the year, right? So he started started the year slow, and I'm just wondering, like, if he was hitting like zero something or or one something in April and May with the Cubs, like, what would have the what what the psychology would have been like at that point, and how how he would have internalized that, and would we have seen like the hottest hitter in, in baseball come out of that? But I mean, to Sadev's point, the evaluations from a Cubs perspective was always uh, more optimistic and over aggressive than almost everyone else in the industry. When you looked at where he was drafted in relation to where the experts thought he would go back in 2014. Uh, Basically the Cubs just need Bryce ball, the prospect who was acquired for Jock Peterson to be better than Aldo Ramirez, who was the prospect that the nationals acquired for, Kyle Schwarber. Then they'll look like geniuses. They'll be like, look, we got it right. Uh, so there you go. That's that's the real answer, Nate. Uh, thank you for that. Otherwise, I, I agree completely with uh, what the other gents said. Uh, we got another one here. This is from Charlie in Waterloo, Iowa. Love, love to say Waterloo. Just a good, just a good, good city name. So uh, basically his question is. Uh, after some very kind words, thank you, Charlie. I won't subject the other <laughs> listeners to your your effusive praise for us, but I will encourage them to send it to us because it does feel good to read it. Uh, his question is, what do we mean when we say that the Cubs are a, quote, big market team? I hear that phrase all the time, especially in terms of like, will they sign him? Will they extend him? Blah, da, 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 da. We know the Cubs have carried a huge payroll, but obviously a financial wall uh, came up recently. So what's the difference between the Cubs and teams like the Dodgers and Yankees that can afford to be in on every single superstar, still have a loaded farm system? Are they just in a tier of their own or is it something particular about the Cubs? Uh, and I have lots of thoughts on that, but what, you know, give us the gist. Uh, when we say that the Cubs are a quote, big market team as a predicate for all kinds of conversations that we have, what are we actually saying? Well, it has to do with the revenue they make, the fan base that they have, with the city that they're in, and and uh, the and the potential for revenue due to the city and and eyes that are on them. Uh, and there's no doubt they're one of the biggest markets. I mean, it's the Cubs as well. There's additional stuff that that comes with being the Cubs. I think uh, that that gets you into another level. I think so. Tom Ricketts has straight up said they'll never be the Dodgers or the Yankees, right? He's he's come out and said that. It's not like he's alluded to it or uh, or or demurred in any way. He he said flat out they will never be the Yankees or Dodgers. I think because the Yankees are just the Yankees. They spend aggressively. They have the Yes Network. The Dodgers have a crazy TV network deal, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I think those are the that's the main reason he said that. And and uh, there was something in that email about like the farm system or something like that. That has nothing to do really with money, in my in my opinion. Yeah, you, you should invest uh, financially in there, but it's not like huge financial uh, stuff going on there. That's 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 the personnel coaching player development amateur scouting that's that type of stuff dodgers are exceptional at that i would not give the yankees any leg up on the cubs in amateur scouting or player development that i don't think the yankees have an advantage there over the cubs that's uh straight up uh the people that you have working for you and not a financial thing but the cubs 
I think should I I think that they should be right up there with the Dodgers and Yankees, and and they usually are. The last few years, you you talk about the financial wall. I think you know they were spending a lot of money. They just weren't adding to the payroll, so the payroll overall was high. Uh, my like what I said the entire time this was happening uh, was yes, they're spending a lot of money, but you don't waste this window of opportunity when you know that there are clear holes on your team and you have clear and obvious ways to address them in the free agent market you go a little bit above a budget budget at that point in time you say we're we're going to go for a world series here we we have the talent base for it but we also have flaws that we need to address and this is how we address it we address it because we're a big mighty organization that has a ton of money and we're going to throw that might around at the right times uh i'm not saying they needed to hold a 280 million dollar payroll throughout I'd, I'd love it if they were that aggressive if they could do that but they i also understand that at times that they're going to pull back a little bit uh so so when you do that when when you have that opportunity you i think you should be a little bit more aggressive and and maybe bend uh uh, push the budget and and maybe sometimes significantly push the budget because World Series matter. Winning winning is the bottom line in this business. And and if they would have gotten a second ring with that with that core group, I think would look at this whole thing very differently. Even if they still had to sell off at this point, you'd look at it all very differently. And it just it it was unfortunate. And I think I think they can spend and and they will spend again. Uh, they'll just always be. There'll, there'll be times. Haven't they been above the Yankees at times, Brett? You you pay attention to this stuff a lot, but more closely than I do, as far as exactly. Yeah, numbers. well, uh, what we saw in the last ten years in the last two CBAs is you saw a um, striking propensity for all organizations to try to get back under the luxury tax at least once every three years. Right, and so there was a year, at least one, where the Cubs had a higher payroll than the Yankees. Um, Dodgers. D- had, not they they did have a reset but i think theirs was staggered in a different way um and i think you make the the right point that the the cubs aren't in any foreseeable future going to be quite like the yankees and dodgers on the revenue side now people will always be able to grind their teeth angrily and say well i don't care they're billionaires they should spend more um fine make make that point if you want to make that point i'm not going to yell at you but I will say that typically most businesses, they apportion their spending on the basis of the revenue that they're generating. And the Dodgers and Yankees for the foreseeable future are going to be in a tier unlike any other organization in baseball. The Yankees, like Sahadev said, because they're the Yankees, they have opportunities that just other organizations don't. And the Dodgers, because they signed their 30-year TV deal at the absolute peak of that bubble. Um, and I think there's probably a lot of regret on the TV side of that, that the Yan- that the Dodgers are like... Whoop, sweet. Good for us. Um, and so that world is just going to be totally different from them. But when you talk about the Red Sox, the Giants, the Phillies, um, you know, any team in that tier, there's no reason the Cubs shouldn't always have the ability to swim in that pond. And I think it's important to point out that when we talk about a big market team in that respect, it isn't just this talk about this revenue about the size of the city and sort of like the quote colloquial sense of a big market. It's also the fact that Major League Baseball, by its rules, presumably in the next CBA, but certainly in the previous one, treats different market teams differently. I mean, there are fundamental ways that the 
uh, sport tries to increase competitiveness by treating, quote, small market teams differently than, quote, big market teams. The, every other team in the NL Central uh, has access to competitive balance picks, extra draft picks in the draft. Cubs will never get that. All the other teams get more money to spend in the international free agency market. Cubs don't get that. Uh, when the Cubs sign a qualified free agent, they are treated differently than other teams. When they lose a qualified free agent, they're treated differently than other teams. So that is all based on the idea that if you are a big market, big revenue team, you're going to use that to your advantage in other ways. You're going to use that money to carry bigger payrolls, to spend more on player development, to spend more on facilities, et cetera, et cetera. So that's definitely something that I, I, I really like to reemphasize to people that the sport is organized in such a way that it is presuming that the Cubs will spend more than the other NL Central teams. So when the Cubs don't do that, if and when they don't, that's when I think you can get frustrated because yep. it's like, well, you're already behind the eight ball. You're supposed to be using your money advantage to make up that difference. Um, and so... I, I think less about like the Yankees and Dodgers and more just about, okay, but are you appropriately using your financial advantages against at least your own division where they are getting some other institutional advantages in the CBA? Yeah, the, <laughs> you bring all that up and it's just, it's insane to me how they treat the big market teams in that sense where they're like, no, you're not allowed to build through the draft or you're not allowed to build through the draft and international free agency along with spending. If you you have to pick it, you have to pick a lane, and then you can only do that if you pick the lane of you're the big market team that spends. We're going to punish you for that. We will make sure to punish you for that financially and with draft picks and with international free agency. It's a ve- I really don't like the the concept of teams losing draft picks or team uh, being stifled in the international free agent market because they're willing to be aggressive in the free agent market. Uh, it, it's a, I, I think it, it sets up a, a really bad system and, and it's just, it, it's, I, I, I don't like the idea that the pirates, I think the pirates drafted three times this year before the Cubs drafted twice. Uh, and the, so the Cubs are forced almost in a sense. You want to rebuild your farm system quickly. You you can be a small market team that has a ton of draft picks or you can be a big market team that has to do what the Cubs just did at the deadline. The Cubs did, don't have a real avenue to rebuild their farm system outside of that uh, quickly. I mean, on the fly, if you're going to do it, that like the Pirates, the Pirates were a terrible farm system two years ago, but they've had a ton of draft picks and they've hit on them and they've hit on their international free agents. And now look at them, a top five farm system, right? It's it's just a the system shouldn't be set up that way. Uh, I'm not saying poor Cubs, uh, how dare they be treated so badly. It's it's just like I, I don't like the idea that you should be disincentivized in spending uh, and it makes you hard. It makes it harder to build a good team uh, and a sustainable team because you're spending in free agency. And, and that's one of those things that really the Cubs are never going to get those extra picks. I get that. It's a little annoying to see teams like the Cardinals get them, but Hey, that's, that's the way the system is set up, but some things definitely need to be adjusted. And one of the main things I think that needs to go away is when you sign a free agent, you lose picks. Uh, that should not happen. Uh, you should not be punished for trying to win. I would say the players will definitely agree with you in these CBA talks. Um, so, well, yeah, let's leave it there. I think that there's going to be 
considerably more discussion about a lot of these topics, both as the CBA expiration approaches on December 1st, but also just in terms of what the Cubs do this offseason. Um, yeah, I think we we would probably say that the Cubs should have the wherewithal to behave like a, quote, big market team this offseason, even as they probably eschew the very long-term deals. Like you can, there's a way to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that the Cubs are in a spot competitively where it makes sense to do that. Um, but I we'll just want to give quick love to Justin Steele because you finally like that was a nice combo of a mix of what we were talking about. I straight up asked Tommy Hadovy about that, and he said it's just about learning how to pitch and use your pitches, the situation, knowing game situation. And I think he did a brilliant job of that. Yeah, he got gassed by the sixth, but that's about as good as you'll see uh, Justin Steele and very encouraging start. Now it's a now. You know, can he do that into the sixth or seventh inning? That's the next step. But that was that was a really nice start from him and a, a potential piece for the rotation going forward. And if not, man, that bullpen's going to be really good, huh? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, when we talk about spending in the off season, it's like don't bother, don't put a dime yeah. into that bullpen. <laughs> uh, again, that's that's where you can redeploy that money elsewhere. And uh, yeah, totally agree. That steel outing was, uh, you know, he's he's been impressive in different ways in each of his starts so far this year. But that was the first one where you saw uh, where he was really able to go for the kill shot sometimes and, and strike guys out, but also managing his pitches and inducing a lot of that contact on the ground uh, early on. And that that combination is what's going to allow him to get deeper into games. And that sixth inning wall, that 70 pitch wall, that third time through the order wall, they all kind of come together at the same time. And and that's just part of the development process for young pitchers. So that it didn't bother me in the least that what happened in the sixth inning. Uh, So yeah, good call. We had to make sure to get that shout out. Um, Thank you folks. Uh, You know, shout out to you, the listener. You also had a really good start yesterday. And a good start to your day today by listening to Aunt Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. You got their stuff over at The Athletic. Uh, you had a really, uh, speaking of the bullpen and the young guys, great piece on Scott Efros. I think folks should read that. I want to give a shout to that. Really enjoyed that. Learned a lot more about his evolution as a player that I didn't quite know. So that was a great read. Thank you. Uh, thank you, folks. And thank you for your emails. Uh, hit us up at wavelandathletic at gmail.com if you want in. And we will otherwise be back at you later this week as the Cubs <laughs> continue their, what, it'll be nine game winning streak at that point? I mean, obviously. <laughs> so uh, take it easy, all. Talk to you again soon.